it's time for the only wrestling podcast on earth with a bunch of WWE producer who's not here now, P.D. Williams, a couple MLB All-Stars who aren't here, a four-time Stanley Cup winner who's not here. It's just me and Lars Fredrickson. Lars, what's up, my friend? Well, we, you know, I'm stoked because we got Mr. Tony Khan here with us today. Well, hang on now, because my best friend, I don't know if you know this, we've been talking to each other left and well, right. I, I, but I have a question for Tony. When does the restraining order go out? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm glad to be here with you, Lars. I'll say that. <laughs> Listen, he asked me a ton of important questions all the time. Like, who is this? Why are you texting me? How do I get rid of you? So... <laughs> We're we're really good friends now, but uh, Tony Khan, thank you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So I'm going to start the questioning off. And growing up in my household, you know, uh, Nitro was a big event. We'd order pizza, we'd sit around and watch it. My next door neighbor, who is my wrestling best friend, his parents would almost rather find a porno movie in his house than catch him watching wrestling. <laughs> Growing up in your household with who your dad is, what was the acceptance of wrestling with him and your love for it? My dad is a really great guy, and he never liked wrestling until AEW, and he loves AEW and watches it and is actually a real big fan, and that's one of uh, my real secret pleasures of AEW. I guess it's not a secret, really, but now, but my dad, uh, when my mom and dad, they never had much patience for wrestling, and they wouldn't watch it with me. They, they let me watch it, and they were pretty accepting of what I wanted to watch you know, or listen to, but... They weren't going to sit down and watch it unless it was a situation where, like, for me to actually go to the show, they had to be there with me because I was a little kid. So my dad took me to some wrestling shows and he didn't particularly enjoy them, but he took me to them because he's a great guy. But they never would watch it with me, but they, they let me watch it. They didn't, uh, you know, on pay-per-views, all things considered, because my, my dad's known for being a very, very wealthy entrepreneur, is completely self-made man from who built it all from nothing. But they didn't really just give me a lot of cash when I was a kid. I didn't have spending money so much. So I wasn't able to order all the pay-per-views. I later would go rent stuff on video. And I was like the master of scouting out all the video stores. And I, I knew all the phone numbers of all the video stores around the Champaign-Urbana market. And also, like you, all the pizza places. <laughs> so uh, I'm very similar to you. I love watching wrestling, but uh, it wasn't really my parents' thing. Well, you know, was it something for you as a kid? I mean, were you, I mean, cause like for me, any, any kind of professional wrestling that I could kind of watch, whether it be gorgeous ladies of wrestling, UWF, WWF, AWA, the whole thing, like it was, I would just consume it all. And, you know, it sounds like to me that you had to make certain choices because obviously dad wasn't going to, you know, he was going to, he was trying to teach you a lesson. And as a father, I definitely can see what that was. But so, how did you pick and choose through your stuff? Were you like me where you just consumed it all or? I would watch all the TV I could. So I watched uh, the WWF and WCW and then got into ECW as a kid because I was an early user of dial-up internet. And <laughs> so I had America Online and dial-up internet and uh, I would talk to other tape traders and I started trading tapes. Uh, in 1995 when I was 12 years old. And then uh, when I was 13, I went to ECW for the first time and I got my dad to take me. Um, I got accepted to the University of Illinois Laboratory High School 
and I didn't particularly particularly want to go there. And uh, my parents kind of tricked me into it, to be honest. I took the exam and they told me to see if you could get in and prove it, you could get in. And then I got in and they kind of made me go. And, uh, <laughs> and then to buy me off, they said they would do, uh, let me do something I wanted to do, you know, pick one thing that's really special to you. What would it be? And I really wanted to go to ECW. And I wanted to go to the doctor is in is, is what the show ended up being called. It was it was an ECW arena show. And they later called it the doctor's in because it's where Steve Williams came in. Dr. Death. Wow. And uh, but it's famously the last ECW show of Chris Jericho and, and uh, RVD and Sabu had their stretcher match that night, right, which is right. where RVD kind of gained greater acceptance among the ECW fans for the first time in 1996. Well, let me just piggyback that question because I was on the boards and doing the tape trading back then myself with others. Were you on Death Valley Driver and those types of boards? Absolutely. I was on I was on Death Valley Driver. I was a guy on there and I was on AOL before that. Uh, do you know Del James? Name sounds familiar. In music, I, he's Guns N' Roses uh, tour manager. And when I was a kid, we traded tapes. He's, a, he's an awesome guy. At one point, I traded him some of my toys for tapes. So it was like, that was like a growing up moment when I traded to all like a lot of my <laughs> little kid. I traded a lot of my toys for tapes. I had grown up officially. Well, what would you just, I'm sorry, Dennis, what was your name on there? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, on AOL, I was Tony Flair and on the Death Valley Driver, I was coach Tony Kidd. Okay. Cause see, you know, did you know Phil Schneider and all them? Yeah. Yeah, because I did Phil's podcast actually. Oh, cool, cool, cool. It's great. Yeah, uh, like Phil, Phil, you know, Phil has a show now, yeah. uh, the way of the blade, because he's doing the book. So I, I actually, in terms of match reviews and stuff, Phil still reviews matches, and they're big fans of some of the people in AEW, and it's like that very particular taste, as you know, the Death Valley Driver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I used to write about wrestling a little bit myself there, and I've, I've, uh been on the internet trading tapes writing about wrestling reading about wrestling mostly and uh still do read about wrestling on the internet yeah because the way of the blade is an, i'm sorry dennis the way of the blade i own that book and i actually did his podcast as well the ricky morton rick flair match and uh it's just a, it's a phenomenal book i want to have phil on this podcast at some point sorry dennis keep going you did the Ricky Morton Ric Flair match. That's great. I did the yeah. uh, I did the Ric Flair Ted DiBiase uh, Mid South Wrestling match. Oh, okay, that was gnarly. That was fucking gnarly. Yeah, that's great. Rick, yeah, the Ricky Morton Flair match is great too. Yeah, for sure. It, it's interesting we went this way because my next question was obviously the influence on these, and I was never a dirt, dirt sheet guy. Although, like Sean Ross Sapp is a good friend of mine. I love the stuff they're doing over there, and you more than a lot of other promotions are very accepting to the the wrestling websites the writers more so than i think i've ever seen from a company head in the history of wrestling and i have to assume that's just because of your direct relation to how you came up as a fan and is it something that was important to you like look i can't forget these guys when i get into this position yeah it probably is kind of how i came up as a fan um i try to be that way across sports but there's nothing like wrestling like i have a really good relationship with the nfl media a lot of the nfl writers i get along really really well with and uh so it's a similar kind of feeling but wrestling has been in my blood longer than anything and i love it and uh you're absolutely right i think that's it i really uh have been 
such a fan of wrestling so long and been reading about wrestling on the internet so long that I have a great respect for what the people writing about wrestling on the internet, what they do. And also for the readers, for the fellow readers. Who, who are some of your guys now that you go to and read? I'm sure they'll, if they watch this, they may get a little pop out of this, but do you have guys that you make sure like every Tuesday, this guy drops an article, I'm still going to read this. I don't really do that as much. I is, is trying to read stuff periodically. Uh, I'm always just, you know, looking at stuff on Twitter. And I think Twitter is a huge part of wrestling. Now it's a medium that so many people in wrestling use. And most people in wrestling are on it. Uh, and there's a lot of wrestling news on there and a lot of it is true. And then you see people put up these like fake quotes or somebody says something that's wrong. And then for like months or years, like that wrong thing, everybody says it's true. And, and unless somebody debunks it and a lot of these things never get debunked. So a lot of just like urban legends or just like fake facts have just been purported as true for a long time. But, um, you know, for, I think Twitter does a lot more good than harm on the aggregate for wrestling. So um, it's been, a, I think, a, a positive uh, that a lot of the fans have migrated there. But uh, overall, I read the Observer, uh, the Torch, the Pro Wrestling Insider, um, Dave Meltzer, Wade Keller, Mike Johnson. And then there's a lot of people who do news breaking on the internet, match reviews. You know, you mentioned Phil Schneider, or Lars mentioned Phil Schneider, sorry. Uh, and uh, I think they have a good website and I, the Death Valley Driver guys did a good job. And a lot of the people from the Death Valley Driver now are on Twitter. And that's where I mostly see what they think. And 280 characters is not a lot of room, but you can put a succinct thought together in that time. It's twice as much as 140 was. And uh, it, it you see a lot of good thoughts there. But for long form match reviews um, and, and news, those are some of the places and people you I read. Well, one of the things that I noticed about like AEW and I think why a lot of people gravitate toward that is not only there's a, uh, um, a fair amount of grit there, you know what I mean? And it's got that indie style, right? But one of the things that like I pop big for and I never, ever, ever thought I'd ever see on a show like yours was the death match between Gage and Jericho. So I just want to know, was that a calculated move? Was that something, are you a fan of deathmatch wrestling or or how did that all come about? You know, it's funny because in the 90s, I was not as big of a deathmatch guy. And those tapes that like the IWA and all the exploding barbed wire <laughs> matches, they were like a big thing in uh, the 90s. And a lot of my friends were really into that stuff. And even some of my favorite wrestlers did it, like Terry Funk and Mick yeah. Foley. And it, that wasn't really the stuff I wanted to see Terry and Mick do. But I do think there's a time and a place for it. And I, I do once in a while, I think it can be good is, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't want to watch a whole card of it or, you know, six months of it straight, but I think for like a big match, a big payoff, it can be really good. And in that case, uh, if you're going to bring in Nick Gage, I thought it made sense to, you know, do it that way, as opposed to having Nick Gage doing like, uh, Marcus at Queensberry rules or like uh, Nick Gage, you know, uh, in like uh, chain wrestling. And so even though he's Nick Gage is a very capable wrestler. So uh, I thought that, you know, it was going to be a lot of fun. And it's funny because even on the TNT side, like we had the marketing call and stuff. And uh, it was like, uh, no, but going into it, like people were fans of Nick Gage. 
like uh, people knew him. And when I said, you know, we're going to bring in Nick Gage, he got a pop, you know, even from uh, the network side. So people, I think all over are familiar with his work. He's, uh, um, you know, it would definitely, uh, it was a, a calculated thing where when Chris mentioned him, I knew it was going to be a pretty crazy match uh, when Chris and MJF had that as, as the next opponent on the list that they, they wanted to work. I, I was okay with it. I, I give it the thumbs up uh, because, uh, you know, I, I thought that's kind of the spirit of AEW is the independent wrestling and, and he's a big thing on independent wrestling right now. So uh, we're kind of the best of the best of all of the companies, you know, having people from everywhere from Japan or people who come in from WWE, people who've come in from uh, ring of honor, you know, the, the, the Indies and, and all these different places. So uh, I thought it would make sense. The, the one thing I've learned from writing P.D. Williams coattails for the last five to 10 years as being one of my best friends is if you're not in the wrestling business and you're a fan, you're, you're looked upon as an outsider. And if someone like a P.D. Williams or somebody else brings you in, you get more accepted. How did you break through that class, glass ceiling as, from just being a fan to that next level? Because uh, I'll be honest with you. You know, we've had a few talks with trying to get our podcasts on impact or doing stuff like that. And it's tough because there's a, a stink on, on us sometimes for just being a fan. Really? Well, I mean, with, I, I wouldn't think that I, I mean, for maybe, maybe for you, Dennis, but for Lars, <laughs> I wouldn't think that was, <laughs> I was just kidding. Uh, no, very. No, that uh, was good though. You see, he's like learning. It. He fucking like learns like that. That's why he's successful, Dennis. I slid right into the joke. I get the joke. But no, I wouldn't think Lars would have any trouble like that. I mean, Lars would love to have you anytime you want to come. Well, like I'm a brick holding him down. So that's why he's having trouble. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I call you? I call you dead weight, brother. You know what I mean? That's my nickname for you. (laughs) But seriously, though, Tony, how do you like rise in that? Because it's like, you know. I mean, it's like, uh, I think, you you know, frankly, uh, that is what I can thank my dad for that because without the, the money that never would have happened. Right? <laughs> so uh, I was able to go to TNT and put together a plan. And I said, I'm going to make a big investment in pro wrestling and in pro wrestlers. And I'm going to sign a lot of people and put together a company. And uh, I have a business plan. And I think we could create a show, which is dynamite and it became Wednesday night dynamite. And I really felt strongly that October of 2019 would be a perfect time to launch a company. And that January of 2019 would be a great time to launch a business and that I should start signing up the available wrestlers. And then as to how I was able to build that credibility, uh, it's a great question, you know, but I I think, you know, again, my dad owns the Jacksonville Jaguars and my family's uh, made a lot of investments in sports and I've worked, in sports for a long time. This is my 10th season working in the NFL as a statistician and, uh, you know, a sixth season now uh, in English football as the general manager of Fulham. So I have a lot of experience in uh, sports and in at, working with athletes. And also I love wrestling more than anything else. So it's really my wheelhouse. So I think a lot of wrestlers put their faith and their commitment in me. And then now I've been working in wrestling for about three years and learned a lot. And I think, you know, the company's running better and smoother than ever. So um, just had to make the leap and really getting into the TV business was what 
uh, prompted it. Wait, wait, time out. And Lars, I, I apologize now, but you've never done anything in wrestling up until this moment. Nothing. Me? Yeah. I no. mean, Lars has it. I know that. <laughs> no, I haven't. I've never. Uh, That's done impressive. Anything I, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've been a fan and I've worked in sports. I've gone to shows a little bit and I've, I've watched thousands of hours of wrestling, but I had a lot of restraint and I had never gone uh made investments in pro wrestling until aew because you know i'm uh i'm a fan i other than buying pay-per-views and and a few tickets i hadn't really made big investments i'm certainly my tape trading days were a big investment well i mean that's the thing it's because i promoted wrestling shows and hadn't had a successful promote a promote what was one show so but it was successful i've been a ring manager i've been you know i've commentated i've done these things and it's funny because like I did all this shit and rancid and you just kind of came out of nowhere and became did outdid anything I've ever done in my fucking entire life. So you got a gold star. But my, I guess my question is, is I, I what I see about your company and what I love about your company. And I don't know if this is something that you guys are like pushing through, but it does seem like it is you're giving characters and people creative freedom. You know what I mean? Which I think is the most important thing in professional wrestling. And it's like being in a band. Where you're going to go is where you're going to get the most creative freedom. If you're being told what to do, you're going to hate it if you're anything like me. So how important is it for you to give the wrestlers the creative freedom? Well, and- it's, it's, it's a great question. Like, it's, I think we found a really good balance because I have a lot of trust from them and they have a lot of trust in me. So what it entails is I put together formats and matches and stories and where ideas are going to go and stories are going to go, who's going to wrestle who. And one really important element of this is how much time they're going to get. And, you know, this is five minutes, this is 15 minutes, this is 20, this is 17, whatever. Uh, You know, and and also I have to be very concerned about things like commercial breaks and where they go. So uh, in terms of, who goes when, who gets to wrestle who, and when it happens like that, there's a lot to that. But in terms of what you're going to wear, what your presentation is going to be, what you're going to say exactly, like, sure, you need to say, I'm wrestling person X at at this venue next week on this show, this night on TNT, or I'm wrestling person ABC at Full Gear on Saturday on pay-per-view. You know, these are important things. Um, And as long as you get those things across and do it in a way that makes sense, I think uh, I'm okay not handing somebody a paper script and telling them like, you know, you're going to say this, 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 and this, and this order and every word of it, you can't change a word of it. That doesn't make any sense to me. And it it would come across very fake, which is I think why the the promos in AEW are, are very authentic and it feels very real. We, as in we, the guys on the show, we're on a text thread and we do a lot of uh, backseat booking and, you know, oh, I do this. I like this. Let's try this. And we we all have an idea in our heads. Like, I'm an old WCW guy. I like the NWA and my booking style tends to lean that way. What were some of the building blocks to where you are now and how you book from the early days of what you've learned? It's a great question. Uh, well, I love pro wrestling so much and I love all different styles and companies. And I think the company's actually gone through 
a few different phases. And it's interesting because we're now back on tour in all these different cities. And some of the things I would do now and I do now while we're on the road are a little bit different than how I presented the show when we were almost more like a territory show in, in Jacksonville because in Daly's Place with the limited audience, it was almost the presentation was more like a Memphis type show. And now I think uh, the presentation is a little bit different and the way I do the show is a little bit different. And uh, having all the fans back makes a huge, huge difference in the show. And uh, now we're really uh, letting loose and having these great matches. Uh, but, but in terms of keeping stories going, I mean, for me, you probably realize when you watch Dynamite, there's most weeks five or six matches and there's a variety of segments, some live, some packages, some backstage interviews, some things in the ring or on the stage. But most of the show takes place in or around the ring or in the form of videos or vignettes. And then we're back to the ring area or we do a backstage interview, but we come back to the ring. But we don't spend typically like 15 minutes backstage consecutively in backstage segments unless there's a fight backstage or a wrestling match that's spilled backstage. So uh, those are elements that I think have been consistent from day one and how I've tried to put the show together and the presentation. Uh, and I try to get a lot of good wrestling into the two hour dynamite or the one hour rampage, given the constraints of time and, and having some commercial breaks and stuff like that. Well, you know, the, the one of the things that I've, I've honed in onto what you were, how you're answering that question is the story. Because that's one of the things that I think is sort of a lost art, because I think wrestling for the last maybe 15 years has been crash course. It's like three weeks and then we're fucking going home. And I hate that shit because it's like you can't invest in any time. But what I'm seeing you guys do is put a little bit more time and effort, like what, how the. Well, well you know, what's is the flip side of that to your question, because before you two, I agree with what you're saying. But the flip side of that is, don't you also sometimes see when you're watching other people's not AEW, but other shows like it goes on forever and it's like 17 rematches with the same two people and well, so there's yeah. like you get that there's no happy medium between exactly what you're saying the three weeks or the thing where it's like it's them again like every week these same two people wrestle like well, I, I agree but my point is it's like how you build like a ruby soho or how you build a cm punk like you're getting him some reps right and now he's got Eddie kingston which is like somewhat of the first real kind of opponent. And now we're talking two baby faces, Memphis style, right? So you're throwing that element in there. And it's like, this is something that now, it's not just CM Punk coming in, it boom, 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 everybody. Cause who doesn't love the fucking guy, right? Like I can say, you know, I love that dude more than anything. But my point is, is like, now you've got this legitimate, real fucking story that you can sink your teeth into that is like a Lawler Dundee, it's like a Flair Rhodes it, or a Flair for, or excuse me, a Dusty Four Horsemen. It has that potential, right? So it's like, how do you keep, like you said, how do you keep it from not burning out, still, still continue to build it? Because this is something that's very tangible that people are going behind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, you know, I really believe uh, in what you're saying, that storytelling is huge in wrestling and i think there's no better example right now than what we're seeing in aw and one you know you've got a story that is pretty new with cm punk and eddie kingston 
and developed pretty quickly, but it had to because we're doing the Eliminator Tournament and it made all the sense for Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston to be this classic match. We were just talking about Phil Schneider and I think his website rated it as the number one wrestling match of the year, Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston on Rampage. And then coming out of that, I had the altercation with Kingston and Punk because that's where it made sense for it to happen because Eddie was going for that title shot. Now he's in this emotional dark place. And we've seen when Eddie gets in an emotional dark place, what can happen? And so I, I, you know, felt really strongly and I'm glad the story came out so, so well. And um, I really believed in it. So uh, now going into full gear, there's that story, which is a pretty new story. But then on the other side, full gear, the world title match, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page. That's a story that's been building for years. Yes. And so you have uh, lots of storytelling and it's in different cadences. Some of it is, you know, some of it consists of long stories. And and, and in case of Kenny and Hangman, they've been partners. They were the world tag team champions. This amazing run. And now uh, they're the champion and the number one contender. And I'm, very excited for that match. Yeah, I'm also very excited for CM Punk for Eddie Kingston. So stories come in all shapes and sizes and durations. Well, uh, just real fast, Dennis, I just want to add to this. You also have the wrestlers and their ability to tell the fucking story, which I don't think is leaned on in the ring sometimes. And that's what I'm also trying to get after is because you do have a hangman. You know, he can tell the story in the ring. Eddie Kingston, more than fucking capable of telling the story in the ring, in a promo, or in a vignette. Like, this is what I'm trying to say. It's like that kind of thing. Sorry. I, I just no, wanted no, to comment on comment. That makes perfect sense. And, uh, no, I completely hear what you're saying. And, like, I, like I, it's a great point. And, like, I think trying to find the right lengths, but also having always as a wrestling company having some stories going. And not having a pay-per-view end and saying, well, now there's no stories and everything starts from scratch. Some stuff's still going. Some stuff's new beginnings. New And, and you know, you never know where things are going to pick up or leave off. I think that's one of the great things about wrestling. This is one of these questions I always ask the wrestlers. And I always kind of get the same answer is, you know, I'm still kind of a fan, but I watch Twitter or clips. You, growing up as a fan, a diehard fan, tape trader, and now the president of a company, do you can you still watch wrestling as a fan? Do you can do you go home, kick off your shoes, and throw on AEW and try to watch it from different sets of eyes, or how does that work for you? I do watch our shows again after they're on, but it's not with a fan's eyes as much. But I do really enjoy them, and and it's you know it never stops being fun. Similar to working in football, I watch a lot of football and I love football, but it's different, you know. You're the when you're watching your own team, you're not watching them really as a fan of them. You're watching them both proud of some of the stuff and critical of some of the stuff, but trying to make it a better team for everyone and for the fans. So it's similar to that. And then when you're watching your opponents, uh, you know, you're learn, trying to learn about it and you're not watching as much as a fan, if that makes sense. Well, uh, I'm an Oakland Raiders fan, so that just tells you how much I've been let down in my lifetime. Health and wellness is kind of where I want to go with this because you hear a lot of these things with wrestlers, you know, had concussions, haven't been able to relax. You got the situation with 
with Mox now, you know, I've been sober 28 years and I understand that like, you know, it's sort of committing to that kind of lifestyle takes a little time. How important is it for you? And is it like something that your company considers these guys when they're or gals walking in and walking out? Like, you know, I know you can't be up their asses the whole time, but how much do you consider that health and wellness? It's a very good question, Lars, and it's a good point. Um, it's a huge part of it. And I've got a very flexible policy in terms of, you know, if people need time off for any issue, I generally will give it to them. And in the pandemic, this came up a lot because mental health, I think, was a huge issue in yeah. the pandemic. You know, the pandemic itself, COVID's a huge issue, but then also there was a mental health component. And a lot of people were really struggling, especially through the early isolation. And I gave people time off and a lot of people found solace in that and then eventually were able to come back to work. But there were a lot of people who just didn't really feel ready to come back right away. So last year, there were a lot of people who were home, not because they were out sick, but just they weren't really ready to, to come back to work. And then uh, we uh, have always given people time off for any issue. And of course, John, uh, when he's asked for time off, I'm more than happy to accommodate him. And I'm just really happy to get Mox back. Uh, I'm excited for that. And I just hope, uh, hope every day, you know, I'm excited to hear that he's doing better and better. So uh, always hope for the best for John. Well, I, I'll take this in a different direction. And as a very accomplished fantasy football manager, uh, I know what it's like. <laughs> on an everyday basis to have to tinker with my lineups, become emotionally attached to players and have to trade them for draft picks and, and, and whatnot. And you at the top of a company and we're at an era of wrestling now where it's flooded with so much talent and you have to make these hard decisions. And every time someone becomes available, you go online. It's like, this guy's going here, this guy, you got to sign this guy and you can't sign everybody. And it's, it's such a hard, hard decision to make. And you being a statistician, do you, do you put some sort of saber, not saber metrics into who you look at and how you judge what talent you want to bring in? In wrestling. you mean? Yes. Uh, yeah, well, uh, to some extent, yeah, you, you want to look at how people have performed in terms of TV ratings and ticket sales and merchandise before they came to AEW and, and then looking within the company, studying who the big performers are. So I do look at that. Yeah, it's a different set of metrics, but absolutely uh, having some empiricism to the process makes a lot of sense. Well, okay, so now we're seeing this golden age of wrestling, and that's kind of the way I've been feeling about it for the last couple of years. And maybe it took a pandemic to make that happen. But you're seeing a lot of different promotions, a lot of solid talent across the board. You can see people from other companies on your show and vice versa. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's really rad as a wrestling fan. Now, how opposed or for when these ideas were starting to kick around, like did you have any cause for concern or were you just kind of like, as a wrestling fan, this is the fucking best thing in the world because now we can make certain things happen. Well, how do you mean? Like, what for what ideas? Like, what well, like my point is, is like because this fourth wall has been sort of blocked down, and you guys were sort of the head of the head of that, in my opinion, or at least that's what I saw. You could now bring other talent in, almost like a territory, right? You mean the and forbidden you, door? Correct. Okay, I got it. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. So, yeah, I, I misunderstood. So. Uh, I misunderstood oh. what you meant by the fourth oh. wall, because to me, the, the fourth wall to me mean like, which I try not to do is like suspending disbelief of the viewer, which is like, does that make sense? 
Yeah, and no, I understand. I it was my it was my lack of better terminology. I probably should have said the forbidden. You no, no, I should have said you give him shit for that. You, you know, know fuck you guys. No, but anyways, <laughs> no, I um, think it's great. No, no, I just misunderstood what you meant. As if, no, but I, I was thinking, the, yeah. Now I got what you mean. And what and I meant was the forbidden way, door. Yeah, it's my uh, trademark, the forbidden door. So I'm always excited when people will use it. Uh, so uh, this is uh, a great question. And I think it has made the show better and it's given me uh, a wider array of people I can utilize in the show. And it's also created relationships with other wrestling companies. So to your point, we've worked with a a lot of companies sending people in and uh, we had uh, the uh, AAA tag team championship defended on the show recently. And now FTR, the AAA tag team champions, of course, the Lucha brothers had held the belts for a long time. And FDR now defended them against, uh, you know, Samurai Del Sol and uh, Aerostar from AAA, which was kind of fun. And then uh, more recently, we've had Rocky Romero from New Japan and the uh, relationship that's opened up and gotten a lot of people intrigued. Uh, Orange Cassidy and the Best Friends are officially members of Chaos, which is a New Japan faction and they're AEW wrestlers. So it definitely makes you think and opens up a lot of possibilities for the future, uh, big matches and big stories we could do. And, and yeah. on a side note, do you have to take yourself out of the fandom to make those decisions? Because <laughs> as, as a fan, I would go do it because I would love to see it. And then there's the business side going, wait, 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 wait. Do you have that struggle sometimes? Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, I think I've, you know, I haven't put every international wrestler on TV, but I think the ones we've used have been good at the right times and we've had great experiences with uh Minoru Suzuki and uh Kojima wrestled on our biggest pay-per-view we've ever done against John Moxley we, he did a great job and then Suzuki was a great surprise after that match and Nagata has done well for us Kenta and of course Rocky Romero just this this week with versus Brian Danielson so uh, I do like bringing in the international wrestlers and working with the other companies and have done some great stuff with Conan and AAA and Dorian. And um, I've enjoyed booking some matches and stories with them. So uh, yeah, I mean, anything you do in wrestling, you really have to take yourself out as a fan and just look at how it's going to affect the business. But I do try and also on the other hand, book things I would enjoy as a fan. And uh, when the show's really clicking, it feels really good because I know as a fan, if I'm loving it, then there's a good chance the fan, other fans at home, you know, a million people are going to feel the same way. It's a great feeling. Well, you know, I saw that Rocky Romero match last night, you know, not to date this, but, um, and it was beautiful because, you know, <laughs> watching Rocky, you know, over the years and obviously the American Dragon over the years and seeing how they, you know, and then after all this time. But what I was most impressed about is that was the fucking first match of the show. And it was like, there wasn't a, a time, and I don't know if this was calculated or not, but I didn't even have time to think about it. It's like, I was thrust into this thing and I started thinking, well, what if people don't know who Rocky Romero is? And then all of a sudden the wrestling and the match spoke for itself. So it didn't even matter about the story and how this all culminated and so on and so forth. So is that something that's calculated? Because that's one of the yeah. things I think is that's a little bit oddball about AEW. The things that you expect, they don't happen. That was very calculated. Uh, I wanted to get right into the show, and I thought if I go jump right into it, I actually, as the theme song was playing, 
uh, for the show, I had run up the stairs because you can't see the ring when the theme song's playing. So I'd run up the stairs and I'd go on like this and pump the crowd up so that like uh, when we did come up, the audience would be up and screaming and then went right to the Brian Danielson music because that's how I formatted it. It was going to be like the show open. It's JR, it's Wednesday. You know what that means. AW Dynamite, we're live from Indianapolis. Dun, 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 and then the Brian Danielson uh, song. And then with Rocky, it absolutely, the one of the drawbacks would be, what if they didn't know who Rocky Romero is? But I thought it would help a lot having Orange Cassidy out there with him uh, to you know show that they're on the same side and had been pushing the B-roll online uh, of Orange Cassidy and the best friends you know, being aligned with him. So I do think that, you know, I really do try and get right into the wrestling as much as I can. And if there's uh, exceptions where I don't like the first dance, then it's very notable and there's a good reason for it. And the first dance was also such a great success for us on TV. And again, uh, relied on the fans trusting us for that to work, uh, that experience. Cause the people wanted to see CM Punk and we never told him he was going to be there. They were just going to have to trust us on this one. And, and they bought the tickets and uh, they watched the show and they paid off. We have time for one more question a piece because hopefully in six months, we'll have you back on whenever, if you haven't blocked my number yet. So we'll, we'll cross our fingers. That doesn't happen, Lars. Um, but is is amazing age this is in wrestling it seems like more so than the monday night wars the fans are more divided and i as a fan during the monday night wars i don't remember ever saying i don't like wwe i'm not ever going to watch them and now i see at least online there's there seems to be a pretty hard divide between this side and this side and i don't know where it came from or how this happened in wrestling yeah, i do i do i i understand it there used to be more of a broad base of people watching wrestling and now it's really like all television it's hardcore fans it makes what the national football league does that much more impressive that the audience for the NFL has grown while the audience for TV is shrunk and shrunk and shrunk because the TV audience goes down 9% a year. It's went down 9% last year and went down 9% the year before it's down 18% over the last two years. And um, the wrestling ratings are very steady compared to everything else. And the NFL is up. So uh, while other shows are mostly down 18% or more over the two years, so um, as the, the audience for TV has changed, uh, all things have become more hardcore audience based. And that is a part of it. But also it's like sports, like sports online, very tribalistic. And the fans of the sports are uh, very quick to say what they're a fan of or what they're not a fan of. And it's also there's a lot of people that like both and just aren't making a lot of noise and the people who are making a lot of noise are the people who feel really strongly one way or the other, whether they really like AW or the, like our competition, but it's, you know, it's not altogether dissimilar from what's happening in the world of pro sports. I think it's overall a good thing that there's all these fans that are really dedicated to their shows, but in the Monday night wars, there were people online that felt really strongly one way or the other. And Frankly, just as the thing went on and on, more of them moved towards the WWF as we went on. But uh, that was a uh, not so much. Uh, well, it was it was a symptom of a lot of things. They did really well, and and you know, obviously, they were giving in 1999. 
1998, they were, that, that was the show that was giving people what they wanted to see in the 90s. Um, so that's why things trended that way, I think. But uh, in terms of tribalism and stuff, there, I think it's something that's been around for a long time and it's a big part of sports. Yeah, I definitely think the day and age has something to say about it as well, you know, because there's a lot of polarization in there too, I would think, you know. So um, my last question is, Okay, so I, re- I recently did the Busted Open radio show, and I know that you do that a lot. And, and co- coincidentally, uh, Bully and Dave LaGreca are fighting for my friendship. So I kind of want to settle it here with you right now. They both want to be my best friend. Who do I go with and why? I wouldn't. I mean, they're both great guys, but your best friend is going to be one of those guys? I don't know. I think well, you can... I think you can find another best friend, Laura. You're a great guy. And I feel like there's a lot of people. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, myself included, that would love to be friends with you, Laura. So I'm, I, I think you might be able to find, they're both great guys, but you might be able to find an even better best friend. Okay. Cause that's kind of the way I feel. I feel like I don't want to be caught in the middle of this thing. Like I'm, there's enough of me to go around. You know what that's I mean? It. Like I'll that's do it. thanks. I'll do Thanksgiving with you, Bubba, our bully. And then I'll do Christmas with you, Dave. Like, it's cool. We can share me. We both love Kiss. We love wrestling. We got there's a lot to talk about. I just kind of wanted to get your expert opinion on. It. So I they're thanks probably, for clearing that up. Guys. You know, they're great guys. I just I wouldn't limit yourself to one person. You know, don't tie yourself down, Lars. You're uh, you have so much to offer. <laughs> well, that's so, sound advice. Well, thank you so mind. much. <laughs> thank you, Tony, uh, for for giving us your time, brother. And you know, thank super you guys. Stoked. First of all, yeah, I really enjoyed doing it with you. I look forward to doing it again. This is awesome. Let's not forget uh, this Saturday, full gear. Uh, me and Lars, we both got the pay-per-view. We text each other during it. We love it. Uh, I'll scream it from the rooftops. By the way, if already they don't know, where can people find you, Tony Gong? Uh, well, AEW Dynamite on TNT every Wednesday night. And on TNT every Friday, we have AEW Rampage. And we have full gear on pay-per-view on Saturday night. It's a loaded lineup. We talked about CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston. We've talked about Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page. There's Brian Danielson versus Miro. Uh, So much great wrestling on the card. So many of uh, the top stars of AEW. Looking forward to the Lucha Brothers defending the Tag Team Championship against FTR. Dr. Britt Baker defending the Women's World title against Ty Conti and so much more great action. I'm really looking forward to the Minnesota street fight with uh, the inner circle versus Dan Lambert's American top team. And uh, yeah, I know a lot of people don't like them. Uh, you know, Pac and Cody teaming up against Andrade Alidolo and Malachi Black. Uh, it should be a really fun match and a lot of great wrestling top to bottom across the show. I think the Falls Count Anywhere match with the Young Bucks and Adam Cole versus Christian Cage and Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus should be a really fun match. Uh, so I'm just uh, super stoked. Well, for everybody at home, the podcast is over. We'll say our goodbyes off the air. This is The Wrestling Perspective. That's Lars Fredrickson. I'm Dennis Farrell. We'll check you guys out later. Thank you so much for watching, everybody.